Good evening, my intrepid followers, my fans of frights and ghoulish groupies. Tis a brand new episode of Scenes That Spooked Us. My name is Humphrey DeVoe. The stories I shall present to you are not your usual scarefest, but rather those times in moving pictures from your childhood that made you quiver, gave you an uneasy feeling in your stomach, forced you to hide behind a cushion, or vacate the room entirely, and put a warm feeling in your trousers. These are the mere snippets that remind you of the uneasy time when you just could not look beyond your fingertips and even to this day force you to squirm a little. These sequences live with you. Perhaps it was the first time you felt fear in your living room or even your local multiplex. Experiences long since stored in the back of your mind wishing never to return. So here, in my library of scenes of the spectral, I will try to put those demons to rest. I only ask that your imagination is required, free and open, so I can summon the demons of cinematic moments past and expel those tortured memories, those tears of fear, or those soiled pants. It is just me, with an oversized book being melodramatic. So allow me to take you on a journey. Join me, my friends of fright. Let me tickle your terrors and stroke your scares. Our first story begins in the late 1980s, in that hive of supernatural activity, New York, where three scientists come paranormal investigators and eliminators were in the dock for unauthorized supernatural investigation and damage to public property. This, of course, is the courtroom scene from Ghostbusters 2. For those who may be unaware, allow me to give you the briefest of introductions to how this scene came about. Five years had passed since the coming of Goza and the Manhattan Crossrip. Supernatural activity had seemingly reduced, and our unlikely heroes of five years prior were now no longer in business, after being sued by almost every courthouse in the state. They were reduced to returning to the normal world, in science, running a bookstore of the occult, children's parties and presenting the tales of psychics on basic cable. Their focus was soon shifted to an unusual incident when longtime friend and former squeeze Dana Barrett had seen her child Oscar in his pram roll away and pick up speed dodging traffic, as if controlled by another being. She enlisted the help of Egon and Ray to investigate, but... Peter found out, through the not-so-subtle torture technique of pulling Ray's ears. Upon closer inspection, they found nothing wrong with Oscar or his mother, and took to the street where the incident occurred 
and found through their respective PKE and Geiger meters, something strong was stirring beneath their feet. That night, they took the law into their own hands in the name of scientific exploration and began drilling a hole in the middle of the road, under the thinly veiled guise of average Joe New York phone line workers. Egon, full-day police officer who inquired about their activities by saying, nothing at all. Peter and Ray came to his aid, causing such an over-the-top routine of offended and begrudged workers that the man in uniform moved on. They had uncovered an old mine shaft that continued underground and through a not-so-subtle voting process, Ray was selected to be lowered into the hole. When Ray reached an opening, he soon discovered the cause of the meter readings. In the old tunnels of the pneumatic transit system beneath New York, he bore witness to a river of slime, oozing and bubbling through the underground network. The two on the surface were once again interrupted by the police officer, this time with an actual worker for the phone company who quickly instructed them that the phone lines were, in fact, on the other side of the street. Unperturbed, Peter, always the quick thinker, changed their story from phone lines to gas works. But I don't think the authorities were buying this sudden change in story. Beneath all of the kerfuffle on the surface, Ray had taken a sample of the pink ooze flowing below him and started to notice activity from within. His calls to be lifted out of the tunnel were ignored, and the thin, slime-covered hand began to emerge, shortly followed by another dripping limb reaching out for his boot. As they scratched at his boot, he let out a pained call for help, which alerted his colleagues, who rushed to his aid, reeling him back up to the surface. The anxiety-ridden Ray was kicking and shouting to get out of this hole when he caught an old, thick, rusty pipe which fell onto the electrical line. A flash of light, and suddenly the whole of Manhattan was plunged into darkness, causing widespread panic and misfortune. Needless to say, the Ghostbusters were swiftly arrested for their actions and promptly taken to court, which is where... This scene that spooked us begins. We are now in the courtroom, bustling with lawyers representing the city of New York. The Ghostbusters were all on one desk. Laid out on the evidence table were their instruments of catching and trapping spectres, as well as the sample of slime that Ray had obtained whilst dangling like bait beneath the street. Before proceedings began, the Right Honourable Judge Stephen Wexler gave one stark warning to the court. Before we get started, I want to make one thing very clear. The law does not recognise the existence of ghosts, and I don't believe in them either. So I don't want to hear a lot of malarkey about goblins and spooks and demons. We're going to stick to the facts in this case and leave the stories to the kiddies. Understood? Seems like a pretty open-minded guy. Quipped Winston who had escaped joining the others in the dock purely by not being present at the time. They called him the Hammer, remarked Egon. 
with a sense of trepidation, as he was openly aware that this judge was very cutting and would take no prisoners. At this point, they were interrupted by the affable lawyer, Louis Tully, whom they had previously saved at the aforementioned Crossrip after he had been possessed by the minion of Goza, Vince Clortho, who took the form of a canine gargoyle and assisted in bringing out the Destroyer, which helped bring about the world-saving event from our heroes, which in turn led to their court injunction that barred them from practicing spiritual investigation and illumination. I think you guys are making a big mistake. I do mostly tax law and some probate stuff occasionally. I got my law degree at night school. That's all right, Lewis. We got arrested at night, assured a withered Ray, before bashing his head upon the table. The mayor's aide, Hardemeyer, looked on approvingly and gently teased Vagman about the length of the sentence they would receive and confidently confided with the prosecution that this was an easy win for the city. The court was now in session. Lewis opened up with a statement about how it was unfair to call his clients frauds, as he once turned into a dog and they helped him. To quote Egon, Well done, Lewis. That was short, but pointless. Witnesses were called to the stand. The man from the telephone company took one look at the jar of slime and surmised that this must have been put there by the Ghostbusters, as if for them to seem relevant again. Bateman takes to the stand, and he starts by murmuring clues to Lewis to mislead the court into believing his lawyer had devised them himself. His deception was unravelled and threatened with holding the court in contempt. Little did they know that the jar of slime captured in evidence emitted a small bubble so minute that it went unnoticed. The trial continued on. Venkman was then handed over to the prosecution, where he explained the need for the Ghostbusters. They were an exclusive entity, and that when shit happens, someone needs to deal with it, and who are you going to call? To the delight of the courtroom, and to the disdain of Judge Wexler. The judge had reached his decision, and called the accused to stand, including Lewis. He found them guilty of all charges, fined $25,000 each, and sentenced them to 18 months at the correctional facility on Rikers Island, hammering down on his gavel to make it official. An astonished rabble from the courtroom followed. At this same time, the pink slime on the table began to bubble, as if the anger of the sentencing had triggered it. Ray noticed this from the corner of his eye and drew Egon's attention to it. I'm not finished, he bellowed, his brow lowered, his eyes burning with vengeful wrath, and he spoke with a low volcanic rumble, rising as his fury grew. On a more personal note, let me just go on record as saying there is no place for fake charlatans and tricksters like you in decent society. Uh, your honor? Egon interrupted, keenly trying to draw attention to the now bubbling jar on the table. Shut up! barked the judge, the jar now steaming and close to overflowing. 
His words went unheard, as the three were now more focused on highlighting the unusual activity on the table. The slime's activity echoed the barbed words of the judge, whose voice was now filled with anger and malice. The red mist descending across his eyes, increasing in velocity and intensity with every barked word. You prey on the vulnerability of innocent people. If my hands were not tied by the unalterable fetters of the law, I would evoke the tradition of our illustrious forebears. Reach back to a sterner, purer justice, and have you burned at the stake! He roared with twisted glee. There was a mighty plume of bright pink light as the jar had reached its boiling point, and from the smoke manifested two apparitions that soon came to light as spirits bound to electric chairs. One gangly and tall, and the other round and tightly bound to the chair. Their eyes glowed brightly, as if they were light bulbs surging with power. The judge pins to his seat in fear as he witnessed the ghoulish figures writhing in their chairs, recognized them almost instantly. Oh my god, it's the Scaleri brothers! The spirits focused their attentions on the judge and burst out of their chairs, diving directly towards him. He narrowly escaped as they laid waste to the bench. Wexler scrambled to the Ghostbusters, themselves seeking cover, astonished at their first ghost sighting in five years. Friends of yours? quizzed Ray. His voice raised over the haunting cackles of the brothers. The Scaleri brothers! Tried them for murder! Gave them a chair! You gotta do something! pleaded the judge. Why don't you tell them you don't believe in ghosts? interjected Egon. At that moment... The table began to rise as the gaunt face of the slender ghost appeared, lifting the table along with his chunky brother. With a ghastly giggle, they launched the defense table to where the judge's bench once sat. The Ghostbusters, Lewis and the judge, sought shelter behind a glass screen. Wexler banged against a locked door before another fiendish laugh and a flash of light echoed through the courtroom. You gotta do something! Help me! He wailed. Don't talk to me. Talk to my attorney. That's me! My guys are still under that estrangement order. That blue thing I got from her. They could be exposing themselves. And you don't want us exposing ourselves. Emphatically stated Peter, much to the confusion of the judge. All right, all right. I rescind the order. Case dismissed. Now do something! The three Ghostbusters sprung into action heading straight to the exhibit table to reclaim their equipment. They were back in business. Any fears that these proton packs wouldn't work were soon alleviated by Egon, who assured that these nuclear accelerators had a half-life of 5,000 years. They calmly switched each pack on, one by one. Do, re, Egon! Again cracked Egon the trio taking this moment to enjoy being back in the saddle. After a moment of quiet, a stiff breeze started to run through the courtroom. The silence lasted a few seconds before one of the chairs was blown into the air. Another, then another, until chairs on both sides of the courtroom were flying at alarming regularity towards the team. 
Just like that, the spirits came out the floor face to face with our hopeful three. They soon fired on the two as the brothers laughed, their distorted faces with oversized gums, grim teeth, and menace in their eyes, plotting their moment of terror. The spectres soon flew over the Ghostbusters and through the walls. Another silent moment. The rush of once again firing the weapons caused Peter to start chuckling. <laughs> Soon followed by Ray and Egon as the adrenaline soared through them. Suddenly, the rotund-like figure of one of the brothers appeared through the wall and Peter took aim. Taking this one solo would be no easy task. His proton stream leaving scorch marks across the wall as he chased the larger ghost through the courtroom. Peter was not phased, taunting the target as he followed through. And in that instant, his proton stream wrapped itself around the ghoul and he had it caught. Ray called upon Egon to retrieve a trap. As this happened, Egon spotted the taller, stick-like brother appearing at speed behind Ray. As he glided overhead, Ray opened fire and wildly missed, smashing through the glass the judge was hidden behind, showering him in tiny shards. Ray soon had the slender spectre in his proton stream, wriggling around trying to escape, but it was no use. This was one wrangle the Scaleri couldn't escape. Egon beckoned his two colleagues to bring the entrapped brothers into his open space in front of the bench. Peter and Ray pulled the ghosts back and round like cowboys tackling cattle. The struggle in this moment was real. The trap was lain. The ghosts were positioned in the electronically charged streams of light. Egon gave the command and hit his foot on the pedal, activating the trap. Ray and Peter turned away from the blinding light and we see the ghouls stretch and struggle, screaming their way down until finally, with the last visible sight of the orb-like eyes, the Scaleri brothers disappear into the box, its lid shutting firmly. A hero step over the smoking trap and proclaim, Two in the box, ready to go. We be fast and they be slow. To the astonishment of Lewis, and to the shell-shocked judge, who appeared dazed as his beloved courtroom was laid to waste, flames and scorch marks everywhere. Outside the courtroom, the gathered crowd and press await news when suddenly the Ghostbusters burst through the doors, packs on their back with neutrino wands in hand, and Lewis holding the still-smoking trap aloft. Peter declares, We're the best, we're the beautiful, we're the only Ghostbusters. And so, the Ghostbusters were back. The city was safe again from all that goes bump in the night. Until they come across a certain 16th century tyrant known as Figo the Carpathian. But those are more stories for another time. And that brings us to the end of our scene. I do hope you enjoyed our little trip down memory lane, and that your trousers have remained dry. I will be back soon, with more chills from your childhood, and terrors from your teens. I have been Humphrey DeVoe, and this was Scenes That Spooked Us. Goodbye.
Scenes That Spooked Us was written, edited, and performed by James Ducker. Technical consultancy was given by Haley Evanet, and a big thank you to Sony Columbia Pictures for giving the world Ghostbusters 2 and scaring the pants off of me as a child. If you want to find me on social media, you can do. On Twitter, it is at jduckeractor, and on Instagram, it is james underscore ducker underscore actor. So thanks very much for listening. Bye-bye for now.